Praise God. What a mighty God we serve in Jesus' name. Just a wonderful, wonderful name. You can be seated tonight. We're so thankful for everything that he has done, and those songs just fit so well tonight with the lesson um, that we're going to be talking about here. If you did not know what month it is, we are already in the month of November, and that is absolutely insane, I think. We're actually halfway through, almost halfway through the month of November. Um, hopefully that doesn't freak anybody out or scare anybody, uh, but Christmas time is going to be shortly around the corner, and so uh, just keep your eyes open because it's going to continue rushing by quite fast, I think. Just a, a few quick announcements here before we uh, get going with the lesson tonight. We, uh, the, the youth department is selling these calendars again as they do every year. They now have um, a few of these in the back. So they do have a limited quantity this year. They, they didn't order as much as they usually do. Um, so I would encourage you to go talk to them. You can speak to Jake or any of the youth and they will get you one of these calendars. They are $10, but I remind you that's a fundraiser. So you can certainly get a cheaper calendar at, uh, at Walmart, but these are just beautiful calendars. And again, it goes to support our young people and things like that. Just uh, incredible uh, photos that they have in these things. So take a photo of it, put it on your, your screensaver on your phone. I don't know, something like that. Uh, Jesus' name. Yeah, there you go. So you could sell these to people maybe. I don't know. Sell the photos. Say they're your own. Um, I know that's copyrighted, but it doesn't matter. So um, all that good stuff. Along with that, um, we will have our services on Sunday. This is our week of prayer and fasting, and so please consider joining us on Saturday um, for the, the men's group on, on Saturday at noon. Everybody is welcome. All men are welcome. Tomorrow night is the ladies' meeting at 7 o'clock, and so Sister Carnahan, who is teaching the Sunday school um, tonight, she can uh, tell you more about that if you're a lady. And then uh, along with that, Saturday night from 5 to 6 is the prayer meeting here at the church, and so we encourage everybody to join us at the conclusion of this week in prayer and fasting. Um, it's a powerful time. It's incredible. If you haven't been able to make it to one, I encourage you to do so. Uh, it will be absolutely life-changing. And then last but not least, um, you all get to hear from our wonderful pastor next week on Wednesday night to uh, teach the Bible study. I'll be out of town, and so um, we are all excited for that. In Jesus' name, I will be here with you on the live stream, but I'll, I'll be elsewhere um, in Jesus' name. So some very cool things coming up um, along with that. And then the Wednesday before Thanksgiving, I'll just remind you that Wednesday is uh, canceled. We do not have service that Wednesday. So that week, um, if you uh, want to use that time to spend it with your family or travel or wherever you might be going, uh, definitely use that time. It would be great for that in Jesus' name. So tonight, we're talking about Thanksgiving. And I made a decision before this to try to put two lessons into one. However, I did not realize how many slides were in this, and Sister Carnahan uploaded them, and she told me that there was somewhere around 50 slides. So I don't think we'll be able to get through all of this tonight. We'll probably just stop somewhere in the middle, and then um, we can you know, interject it wherever we need to later on, because I, I'm not, I don't want to get in the business of rushing God or what he might want to do here tonight in some lives in, in Jesus' name. If we get through it, we get through it. If we don't, we don't. Um, I expect to get you out of here on time, um, no matter what. So don't let that number scare you or intimidate you in Jesus' name. Um, I, I will try to keep everybody awake as a result of that. So the scripture tonight that we are going to be speaking of is in 2 Samuel uh, chapter 6, and verses 12 through 15, and it says this, and it was told King David, saying, The Lord hath blessed the house of Obed-Edom, and all that pertaineth unto him, because of the ark of God. And when we're speaking of the ark in this, this context, I, I want to remind you, it's not the big ark that Noah built or the big boat, 
But this is the ark that when Moses came down and after he, uh, God gave him the Ten Commandments and, and he came down, they, they put those Ten Commandments inside of this ark. And it was something that, that was very beautiful and they would carry it around um, and, and they would bring it to different places and that sort of thing. And the power of God would, would dwell as a result of them having this ark. So that's the ark that we're speaking here. Not a big boat, but a, a symbol of, of God's presence. And so it says, so David went and he brought up the ark of God from the house of Obed-Edom into the city of David with gladness. And it says this, and it was so that when they had bare the ark of the Lord, or, the, let's see, when they that had bare the ark of the Lord had gone six paces, he sacrificed oxen and fatlings. And David danced before the Lord with all of his might, and David was girded with a linen ephod. And so David and all the house of Israel brought up the ark of the Lord with shouting and with the sound of a trumpet. And so um, it's a, a very exciting time for the nation of Israel at this time. It's, it's, it's exciting for David, who is the king there, where he is bringing this ark back to the city. And so we're going to speak tonight about how they lost this ark and how the, it came back to them. And as a result, they wanted to give thanksgiving or they wanted to be excited about what God was doing in, as a result of that. So listen to these few paragraphs as, as I introduce this to you tonight. It says, The saga of the stolen Ark of the Covenant depicted one of Israel's darkest days as a nation. The Ark symbolized the heart of the Hebrews' religion, and it was relatively small chests covered with gold. Two beautiful crafted angels that faced each other adorned the lid, which was called the mercy seat, the place where God promised to speak to Moses. Its contents consisted of Aaron's rod that budded, a container of manna, and the tablets of stone which the law had been written upon. This most sacred piece of furniture represented the soul of Israel's religious treasures. During the time of the judges, Felicia, the, the perennial enemy of Israel, captured the ark and carried it to their camp. This sacred, sacrilege effect, affected Eli, Israel's high priest and judge, so deeply that upon hearing the news, he fell backwards, broke his neck, and died. So he heard this news that this ark had been captured, and he fell backwards, and he died. It's pretty incredible to think that he did that over something that some people might say was just a, a wooden box. And so he fell backward, broke his neck, and died. His sons, Hophni and Phinehas, were also killed in the struggle, but Eli was more devastated by the missing ark than their deaths. Phineas's wife gave birth to a son at the same time. She named him Ichabod, meaning the glory has departed, signaling that the ark's capture distressed her perhaps even more than losing her husband in battle. The Philistines soon regretted their spoil. Housed in the temple of their god, Dagon, the idol twice fell before the ark, and the second time it broke and shattered into pieces. In addition, the men of Ashad were smitten and with painful tumors, and many died. They had enough. They sent the ark to Gath. The men of Gath were stricken by disease as well, and they sent the ark to Ekron. The fearful Ekronites protested and sent the ark back to Israel. After seven months and more trouble, the ark ended up in Kirjath-Jerim, a city in Judah, where it stayed. Sorry. Serious. Get interrupting me here tonight. Back to Israel, where it stayed. And after seven months and more trouble, the ark ended up in Kirjath-Jerim, a city in Judah, where it stayed for 20 years. It had always been the intent of Israel, however, to bring the ark back to Jerusalem. Without it, the nation had no anointing or glory. 
And after yet another tragedy, King David finally discovered how to put the ark on its return journey. When the parade finally formed, David danced before the Lord with all of his might, and he, along with many of Jerusalem's inhabitants, brought up the ark of the Lord with shouting and with the sound of a trumpet. Michael, his wife, saw David's shameless celebration and thought it was undignified for a king. She despised her husband for his unabashed show of emotion, but David dismissed her criticism. Because of the love of Jehovah and his appreciation for Israel's history, he realized the national significance of the ark's return. This was a historic moment, and David would not suppress his joy and gratitude for anyone, including his wife. His outward demonstration matched his inner elation. It was a posture of thanksgiving. So this story here, I realize that there's a lot of details and a lot of big words and that sort of stuff, but it speaks about how this ark was captured by another military, and it went to another city, and inside of that city, it, it began to cause disease and that sort of stuff. For the Israelites, it was something that was powerful. It was something that, that gave them the ability to conquer other enemies and, and that sort of stuff because of the presence of God that dwelt upon that. But when other groups of people began to capture this ark and began to take it to their places where they lived, then it began to cause disease in the opposite of what it had caused for the Israelites because of the power that was inside of that. But David, when he brought this ark back, was absolutely ecstatic. He, as a king, somebody who sits on the throne or somebody who has all the robes and the gold plates and the, the nice cars and the, the, the elaborate food and that sort of stuff. He as a king wanted to bring this back. And so when they began to bring this ark back to the nation of Israel, he realized how powerful it would be to have the thing that God had given to them back inside of their city or back inside of their walls. And so when they began to carry this back into their city, he began to dance as a king and he began to shout and he began to get excited about what God was doing inside of that. And, and even though he had those heavy robes on and he looked very immaculate and that sort of thing, even though like in today's world, he would be like President Trump or whatever you want to say. And he, he went before that ark and he decided to strip those robes off and just dance wildly before God saying, God, I love you so much. And I'm so excited about this that I, I want to give you thanksgiving for returning this from the enemy's land into our possession and that sort of thing again. David was excited and wanted to give thanksgiving unto God. And so that brings us to our first point here, that our outward posture reflects our inner attitude. It is absolutely okay for us to begin to dance before the Lord, or it's absolutely okay for us to give him praise and, and thank him for what he has done inside of our lives in Jesus' name. There's a reason that he went to the grave. There's a reason that he went to the cross and died for all of our sins so that we, just like David, could say that some things that the enemy had taken from us are now ours, that the enemy cannot hold on to those things and that we absolutely can become in a place where sin, we're delivered from it and where sin is washed away in baptism and where we can dance with joy because the enemy no longer has that bondage over us inside of our lives. We can walk out of this world and say, you know what, those things that I used to do that used to make me feel terrible and bad, those things that used to, to hurt me and harm me and that sort of stuff, I'm free from those things because of what Jesus has done for me. So I'm going to come back and I'm going to dance before him and I am going to thank him and give him praise and reverence because of what he has done. 
done. You see, the outward posture reflects our inward attitude. And so if we're always just coming and moping around inside of our workplaces and inside of the church building and inside of the, the, the things in life that we go through, and everybody just knows us as the person that is always hanging our head and moping around and saying, man, life isn't worth it and all that sort of stuff, then they're not going to know the true God that you and I serve. But when, when we go into those places and, man, we're, we're excited, even, I, I'm not saying that we don't have bad days, but we're excited about what God has done for us and excited about what the scripture spoke to us that morning and those sort of things, then it begins to be this explanation to people that, man, inside of me, God has done something miraculous and powerful, and I'm going to show it on my outward expression in Jesus' name. Courtney Carnahan used to have this phrase, and I quote it all the time, but she said, preach Christ and if you must, use words. Preach Christ, and if you must, use words. That's what she would speak to us all the time in the youth class, and it's just resounded in my head over and over and over again since that time. That you don't have to preach Jesus just by speaking to people in, in that sort of thing, but you can preach Jesus by what you're showing and what you're living. And we do that by giving him thanksgiving in Jesus' name. And so this says here that if a person kneels before a dignitary Without an attitude of reverence or gratitude, the act becomes a sham or a display of hypocrisy. If, you, if we were back, you know, hundreds of years ago and we walked into a palace where there was a king sitting on the throne and we walked into that, that courtyard where we were before that king and we decided to bow before that king, but we did it out of, out of you know, the, the, the need to have to do it or we did it out of not free will and that sort of thing, then we're, we're doing it out of hypocrisy or out of a sham just for, for, for doing it, just for going through the motions. Back in the day, I, I mean, it was crazy that if you walked into the palace of the king and he did not decide to accept you, you could be killed just for walking into his courtyard or into that palace there. And so a lot of times people would have to bow just out of fear because they would be like, man, you know, if I don't bow, then, then this guy's going to be off with my head. I'm going to be done. And that, that's not a cool way to have to live, to just always be in that, that moment where you're just fearing what that, that thing is bigger than you. And that's not how God wants us to react to him. That's not how he wants us to be just constantly fearful of, of is he going to strike us with lightning or, you know, I mean, we could come up with the wild ideas. Is he going to give us disease or, I mean, all that sort of stuff. And that's not the God that we serve, but he's a loving and merciful God. So we can walk into his courtyard and into his palace and we can bow, not because we absolutely have to, but because we get to, and we want to, and we want to say, God, you know what? You're just such an incredible God, and you died on that cross for me. You have given me joy. You have allowed me to come into a worship service where things are just dismissed and stuff in my life is passed away. And so, God, I do desire to bow before you, and I do desire to give you that reverence in what you have. And we can display that by having that outward attitude. And before we get too deep into this, I want to clarify that it's not the, the loudest, it's not the most wild, it's not the most crazy person that is necessarily demonstrating this. Some people can, can demonstrate that, you know, just, we have different personalities, but we truly can demonstrate this on an outward motion by lifting our hands and getting into the presence of God and listening to what he says in scripture. And so he says this here in 1 John 3 and 18, it says, my little children, let us not love in word neither in tongue, but in deed and in truth. And saying that your words and, and your, the, 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 that, uh, that, 
your, your word and your tongue and, and what you say and that sort of thing means a whole lot less than your actions and what you are doing through your actions and things like that. You, you all, I think, understand this, that, that even in marriage and that sort of stuff, you can tell somebody, I love you, but if you don't show that or demonstrate to that person, it's meaningless. Those words don't have anything behind it for, for any reason. And so you, you have to think of the same way in, in the kingdom of God, that if we say, God, I love you, and we come here on a Wednesday night and say that to God, yet we go out and we live a complete opposite life throughout the week, then, then it's not truly meaning that. And in order to have a good relationship with God, we want to connect with him. We want to, to go forward with that. So here are four acknowledgments that, that might be some things for you to consider tonight, but we have to say these things. So I acknowledge that I have nothing of my own. I acknowledge that I deserve nothing from God. He doesn't owe me anything. I acknowledge God's sovereign prerogative to give or withhold. He, he gives and he withholds sometimes. And I acknowledge all my blessings come from God. That those are going to be kind of the resounding points here tonight, that, that basically what we have around us is, is a factor because of him. It's an ability because of him. It's a talent that we have because of him. And so we want to give him all of that glory. And so without Jesus, we can ultimately do nothing. Without Jesus, we can do nothing. Even the strongest person that is out there saying that they are the strongest atheist inside of this world never wanting to believe in Jesus and that sort of thing. It, it, it's, a, it's a tragedy because it, it's, a, it's, a, um, it's a smoke and mirror. It's something that's, that's deceiving because when, when you say that, people sometimes just don't realize that Jesus created this world around us and that he gave us this ability to be born into this world. And even if somebody says, I am an absolute atheist and I won't believe in Jesus and he hasn't given me anything and that sort of stuff, they, they can certainly say that. However, Jesus did give us the birth that, to come into this world. Jesus gave us the possessions that we have around us to build the things that we want to build. Jesus gave us the, 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 the parts of our, our life that we could put together so that we could have joy in that sort of thing and have, have fun in this life and all of that. Jesus gave us all those pieces to put together. So even the people in the world, even and we live in the world as well, even the most sinful person out there has absolutely received something from Jesus. Jesus has absolutely given them so much more than they will ever understand even if they never even know it and it hurts sometimes to see people who who just decide to to not want to accept that or not want to say that man Jesus is the reason inside of that and so without Jesus we can do nothing at all we have no abilities to, to do certain things and and, and we'll, we'll speak about that here as we go forward tonight but first John 15 5 through 7 he says this this is Jesus talking he says I am the vine and you are the branches he that abideth in me, and I in him, and, and we'll have to correct this if I'm wrong, Pastor, but is this, I think this is just John. I don't think it's First John. Yeah, I was saying that that looks messed up. Okay, so John 15, 5 through 7, it says, I am the vine, you are the branches, and he that abideth in me, and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit, for without me you can do nothing. And if a man abide not in me, he is cast forth as a branch and is withered. And men gather them and cast them into the fire, and they are burned. Pretty strong words that he's using there. And he says, if you abide in me, and my words abide in you, you shall ask what you will, and it shall be done unto you. 
It's incredible when you begin to think about this and what Jesus is doing inside of these, these, these scriptures here. He, he's not only saying that if we abide in him that there's, there's good things, but he's saying, man, if you abide in me, there's great fruit that will be produced as a result of that. There's things that will begin to blossom inside of our lives. An example is that if you connect with Jesus, joy will begin to form in your life. There, there will be certain places of your life that peace will begin to form inside of, of your life. I, I loved your, your testimony the other night of, about your marriage and, and God just coming in there. And when God came in there, he began to heal and mold that together. I mean, these are the things that Jesus is giving to us. And, and not only that, but then he's saying that, that what, we, what we ask as far as along his will, that it shall be done unto us, that it will begin to happen. That, that sounds a lot better to me than a deal out there in the world where we're just wandering around and we're not sure what tomorrow is going to bring or the, the next day and that sort of stuff. But when we are with Jesus, we at least have the faith that, man, there's one day that I get to go to the streets of gold and walk around in heaven and dance before him and be in his presence and all that sort of stuff. We can be thankful for what he has done to us in Jesus' name. And so we want to abide with him. And, and I, I want to ask this question and get a few responses here tonight. But what do you think it means to abide in Jesus Christ? What do you think it means to abide in him? What would you say? Yes. Absolutely. Very much so. Somebody else have an idea of what, what it means to abide in Jesus? Anybody else? I know I'm asking a tough question. Maybe college level, that sort of thing. Yeah. Yes, brother. Yeah. To agree? Yeah, very much so. That's a great answer. To agree, to walk with. Absolutely. Very much so. You stay. You stay in his presence, things like that. Scripture says to pray without ceasing. I mean, there's various aspects of that. And we stay in those things. Very much so. These are ways that we can abide with Jesus. We could actually form a, a, quite a large list of this when we begin to think about it. But there's, there's many ways that we can abide with Jesus. And so, continuing on with this lesson tonight, your next blanks say this, that we have no rights or privileges other than those that the Lord has entrusted to us. We came into this world with nothing, and we will leave this world with nothing, except for the hope that we will be with Jesus, and that's in, in, in him alone. Job declared this truth, and he tried to come to the grips of this devastation that had flooded his family. He said this, naked came I out of my mother's womb, and naked shall I return thither. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of of the Lord. It's, this scripture is, comes at an incredible place where you think about Job and all that he has went through and, and, and how you know, Satan has came in and, and tried him and 
taken away his family and he lost his family and he lost his house and he lost his oxen and he's having these painful sores on his body and that sort of stuff. And you begin to think of, God, why would you let this happen to somebody? I mean, you're the God that is so merciful and peaceful and all this sort of stuff. Why on earth would you let this happen to this man in this big trial and that sort of thing? But Job, even in the midst of that, does not deny God. He does not say that God is non-existent and that he doesn't want to serve him anymore. But Job says that God is very existent, and he's kind of saying this out of a thankfulness, that, man, I came into this world as, as a naked person, and I'm going to leave this world as a naked person, that, that these things that God has given to me are the only, only a result of him wanting to give these things to me in Jesus' name. And so it resounds to that that we just spoke of, that we have no rights or privileges other than those that the Lord has entrusted to us. And we have no ability or, or idea or, or that sort of thing to say, God, I demand this right now. To say, God, you have to do this because this is what, what needs to happen at this particular moment. We, we as human beings sometimes like to think that we can do that, but that is not what God has asked of us. And so you can see this in, in one sor- sort of area, and, and, and I'll just read this to you. It says, one of the most disconcerting facts about modern living is seen in the calculation of life insurance needs for a baby. Most parents believe that their child is inestimable or has an inestimable, inestimate, inestimable value. I'm struggling tonight. Insurance companies, however, strip all emotion from this equation. They look only at the numbers or the actual tables. A baby cannot be gainfully employed, has no innate financial worth and is considered more as a liability rather than an asset. The loss of a baby therefore has little or no financial incidence, even though it would cause insurmountable headache and sadness to parents at the loss of a child. It's crazy when you begin to think about that and the difference that we have between the insurance company's way of thinking of it and a parent's way of thinking of it. So spiritually, we must not think of ourselves as enriching or adding a central value to the kingdom of God. We must not think of ourselves as the ones that are enriching or the ones that are adding value to the kingdom of God. I know that that might be a hard pill for some people to swallow. I know that that begins to push on that button called pride and you begin to think, man, like, am I, am I really worth it or that sort of thing? Like, do I have value and in, in that sort of stuff? You absolutely do when, when God begins to reach his hand out and he begins to say, you know what, I'm, I'm reaching down to you and, and that sort of stuff. And he begins to say, I want to build you up and I want to see you become these people that I, I want you to become. But by no means should we think that we are, are part of, of God's kingdom and that we ourselves are the reason that God is such a big God and doing such incredible things and, and that sort of stuff. We can't say that it's us because we taught a Bible study or us because we spoke from this platform or us because we did a certain thing that this world is is going this certain way or that sort of stuff. No, we need to give that credit to God and say, God, this is all you, that you are the one that enriches this life. You are the one that changes and transforms some things around us. And when you begin to take that weight off of your shoulders, life becomes so much more easy. Because no longer do you have to worry about your image in front of other people. No longer do you have to worry about what family thinks about you or others around you. No longer do you have to worry about what those coworkers think about you and that sort of stuff. Because you don't have an image that you have to own up to. All that you have to do is live for God and, 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 and give that outward appearance of, man, I'm living for him and he's doing incredible things inside of my life. And he's the reason that people around you either begin to be impacted or turn away from you and that sort of thing. I've walked into some crazy situations even inside of my job 
job, there was a time when I knew that this coworker was in absolutely in a terrible, terrible place. And I had addressed him about it and said, that's not cool what you are doing. That is not good. It's not right. That, that you, you need to change from what is happening there. And he didn't. And, and soon after, the, the weeks after that, I, I would walk into a certain room and automatically you could just feel the, 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 just this, this heaviness inside of that room that he would just turn from, from me even just standing inside of that room. And it wasn't because of me, but it was because of the presence of God that was inside of me. It was a conviction that was being poured upon his life and that sort of thing. And I continue to pray that he will change and trans transition from that because it was some pretty nasty stuff in Jesus' name. But God can do that. He can begin to move and change environments, not only for, for, for the good, but just to, to different places in Jesus' name. And so we only have life and breath because of his divine decree. And it says this in Revelation 4.11, it says, Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power, for thou hast created all things, and for your pleasure they are and were created. For his pleasure they were created. It doesn't say for our pleasure that they were created, but for his pleasure. I know that this lesson tonight isn't like the, the most awe-inspiring, and you're like, man, this is just exciting and that sort of stuff. But, but we're talking about some stuff that this is truly true biblical principles here when we're thinking about it. And, and if we can adjust our mindset towards this, then life becomes so much greater when you begin to think about it. Like I said, those pressures begin to fall off. It becomes easier to get into his presence because you can say, God, I want you to lead me. I desire to be in your presence, man. That's so much better than the thing that I could come up with and that sort of stuff. So this continued to lead us to, to this next point. It says, no person has any gifts, abilities, or talents of his own, his or her own making. We can think we do, but ultimately it comes from God again. God gave us that ability. He gave us the ability to speak. He gave us the ability to build. He gave us the thought process, the brain that begins to come up with this sort of stuff. I mean, if people want to believe that evolution was what created this sort of stuff, then, then, then go all for it. But I absolutely believe that, man, that, that our, our God came down and spoke specific things into this world. He, he spoke specific purposes into this life, and he began to form clay into to certain places and that sort of stuff, and he breathed into that dust as he began to form human human beings and and as a result we were formed and only him because of his 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 thoughts and and all of this sophisticated stuff so only reason that we were able to be formed into the people that we are today i i just can't wrap my head around a single cell beginning to develop all these sophisticated purposes and places that we have inside of our mind as well as this entire solar system and the things that go on inside of that in jesus name and so, continuing on with some more scripture here to, to show you this, but it says this, that John answered and he said, a man can receive nothing except it be given to him from heaven. And James 1.17 says, every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, and it comes down from the Father of lights, with whom is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. So if humans had value or abilities apart from the gifts of God, we would have leverage over him. And we don't have leverage over him. No matter how hard we try, or no matter what we want to say, we do not have leverage over him. I, I, when I first came into the church for a few years, and I began to, to learn about God and that sort of thing, I might have tried that a couple times. Of God, well, I'm not going to do this if you don't do this, God, or, or vice versa, or whatever it may be. And you soon realize that that turns out quite disastrously when you try that with God. It turns into a, just this big storm that just begins to build and goes to a place that you don't want it to go sometimes. 
And so if, if this was the result, we would have no reason to be thankful at all because we would have our own abilities, we'd have these, these things that we ourselves built up and all that sort of stuff. But Scripture, however, emphatically describes gratitude from humankind to God. And the Old Testament cited thanksgiving as a fundamental reason for the sacrifices to God. They would offer these animals and, and that sort of thing, and it was a fundamental reason. You saw David did that when he brought the ark in that scripture that we read. He sacrificed those animals unto God as a, a thankfulness of saying, man, these are valuables that I have, but I'm going to give them to God and that sort of thing. It wasn't to be mean to the animals or whatever it may be, but it was a thankful offering. It, it was something to, to give towards God. And the patriarchs and the, uh, the, the prophets made thanksgiving a central theme of their worship. That it wasn't just about what can I receive from God inside of this worship and that sort of stuff, but it was, man, God has been so good to me. God has allowed me to live. There were times that I should have died. There were times when things should have destroyed my life and they didn't. There were things that God held me from and that sort of thing. And that can become part of our worship, that we give that to God and say, man, God, I'm just thankful that you are willing to come into this place and speak to us tonight. That he's not just some God in some of these other religions where he says, man, you got to offer human beings up as a sacrifice, or you got to blow up buildings, or you got to go to some of these places and that sort of thing. That's not the God that we serve, but our God is a God that says, man, anybody, no matter their color or the race or, or any of those sort of things, no matter what they've done in their past, no matter what's going on right now inside of their life, anybody can come unto him and he will be willing to reach out and to speak and to begin to transform any person's life at any moment in time. It's something that we can be thankful for and give him glory for in Jesus' name. And we are not meant to be the selectors of who or who not that, that, that need to come before God and that sort of thing in Jesus' name. And so Philippians 4 and 6 says this. It says to be careful for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. Be careful for nothing, but in everything, in prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be known unto God. It's speaking to us here. It's just saying some things that, that, that sometimes we need to be sensitive to everything that is happening inside of our lives. That even the smallest thing of a child being born or, or whatever you know, inside of our lives, maybe it's a pay raise or whatever, that we can use those things to give thanksgiving to God and say, God, you know what? I'm giving you the praise for these things that have happened here. I'm giving you the glory for what is happening in this particular situation. And by prayer and supplication, so basically by, by committing ourselves to speaking to God, we can make decisions that are bigger than us. We can begin to decide things in our lives that before that might have been too difficult to decide in Jesus' name. And so, Continuing on with this, we deserve nothing from God. The essence of grace is unmerited favor. It's unmerited favor. Grace is just when God begins to, to he doesn't, or he gives us what we don't deserve. That's the, the easiest definition that you can have with that. When God gives us what we don't deserve. We breathe God's air. We eat from God's supply. We benefit from God's provisions. And we enjoy God's blessings. None of this is earned, deserved, or owed to any of us. And the truth makes pride a chief sin in the eyes of God. And, and us as guys, sometimes we can really begin to think this, that, man, I provided my household food. Man, I provided 
my household with these things, or I bought my house, or I bought my car, whatever it may be, and that sort of stuff. But in reality, if God wanted to stop that or take that from us, he ultimately could. He absolutely could. He could put a stop on any of that stuff. But man, we can be thankful for what we have around us in Jesus' name. We can be thankful for what he has given to us in Jesus' name. You all saw the video on Haiti and, and what those people are, are going through in some of those places. You saw the houses that they're living in. And, and I, I pray that everybody would get an experience like that at some point, to go and experience an environment where people just don't have a heated building that they can go to or an air-conditioned building. You know, living inside of a brick house where there's a tin roof and it's 100-something degrees out and it's just sweltering inside of that because there's no AC and there's no electricity. A city where you, you stay in this hotel and you look out across a city and at nighttime it's pitch black because there is no electricity to houses or to any place around except for the hotel you're staying at. It, it begins to cause you to realize that, man, we are so blessed and, and we have so much inside of our lives and, and that sort of thing. So much that God has given us and, and the ability to work and the ability to go to these places that, man, I want to stop complaining about so much stuff just because I, I want to, to say, God, I am thankful for what you have given to me in this current time. I am thankful for what you have given to my family. I am thankful for, for the, the sound mind and, and allowing me to live in your presence in Jesus' name. It's reverence that we can give unto him in Jesus' name. So we must be careful with pride because pride can begin to sneak in there and say that I'm the reason that this happened when that's not the truth. And so Proverbs 8.13 says, The fear of the Lord is to hate evil, pride, and arrogancy. And the evil way and the froward mouth do I hate. He's speaking some things here. And if you remember, Proverbs is, is a book where there's some very smart things that are said in that book. There's some very great ideas that, that can apply to many different people in many different, different places. But what it's saying here is that we, we need to fear the Lord. Again, not being in that place where we say, man, I'm fearful that God's going to strike me with lightning if I don't do what he wants me to do. That's not the God we serve. He's very forgiving and very graceful. That Man, he, he just says to take one step at a time. And there's times that we're going to mess it up and absolutely disgrace him. There's times that we're going to fall and scrape our knees. There's going to be times that things just aren't good inside of this life because of how we messed it up and we destroyed other people or maybe we hurt somebody's feelings and all that sort of stuff. We're going to, to mess those things up. But that's why he died on the cross and gave us something like baptism so that we could be forgiven of those sins and then we could repent before him and say, God, I, I, I done messed that up. I mess those things up, and I'm believing that you will fix it in Jesus' name. And, and he'll come in, and he'll begin to nourish us through that in Jesus' name. But our fear needs to be towards that, that he is that creator of the universe, that he is the one that knows the beginning from the end, that we are not those ones that, that know that sort of stuff. So we have that respect to him, that, man, we want to give that reverence to him, that he is that king of kings and the Lord of lords in Jesus' name. And so... Again, after that, it's, it's saying that it's, it's the, the, the fear of the Lord. It's kind of explaining that here. But to hate evil, to hate pride, to hate arrogancy. I think we all could raise our hand and say, man, I know somebody who might think they're a little bit smarter than they actually are in that sort of thing in Jesus' name. But we've got to be careful with that um, in, in that sort of thing. I've been in that place before where I thought I knew more than, than what I actually did. And I said some things that have hurt some people as a result of it before. I'll, I'll admit it honestly. I'm not proud of it or anything like that in Jesus' name. However, I think we can see as human beings that, man, sometimes we get ourselves in places where we need the Spirit of God, where we need the presence of God to take us through those things and absolutely deliver us from them. And he can do that. He can do that here tonight. He can move in that place. And so to hate the evil way 
and the froward mouth, these various things that, that just begin to take us away from him and begin to say that, man, it's our ability that has caused this to happen. And so that, that is uh, what we have to begin to fight against. So indeed, if we were to receive our just desserts from God, we would be utterly condemned. We would be in a place where we were, were sent to, to hell. We would not be able to escape from that. We would have no other option but to go to that particular place. But I'm so thankful that God says, no, that's not the way that it is. I'm giving you an open door here, an option to walk through. I'm giving you the ability to, to live this life and that sort of thing, to live into my presence down here. But my goodness, when this life is over and you begin to walk on those streets of gold and you go into those places where the, there's the, the, the house with your name on it and that sort of stuff and his glory and his presence is inside of that, then worship down here will become so much smaller compared to the worship up there where, man, we can just oh, yeah. give it all to him. We don't have the stinking flesh where we have to come to church after work and we're tired and all that sort of stuff. We don't have to worry about that. We don't have to worry about what we're going to eat for dinner or any of that sort of thing, but we can be excited. It says that there's going to be no tears and, and that sort of thing, but, and it's just washed away. Now, we don't have to worry about those things. That's the God that we serve, that he's saying, hey, just, just hold out for a little bit longer. Just hold out for these hundred years, maybe, or, or whatever it may be. I, I pray that I don't make it to hundred. I'd rather just make it to, to a few more and then die and go to heaven and that sort of thing. That's not a suicidal statement, but I'm just saying, man, like, I, I just, I would much rather be in that place with him. But he's saying, man, this is just the twinkle of an eye compared to all of eternity and what's going to happen when that begins to, to open up. Man, and, and we see it down here. You see it in the worship services here. You see it when people begin to, to be drawn into them and you begin to to get just a little taste of what it's going to be like in heaven and that sort of stuff. For, so for, for somebody who wants to claim that that's not real and that sort of thing, go all out, but you're never going to convince me otherwise because, man, I absolutely know. I've tasted it. I have seen it. And when, when you've tasted something and, and you have begun to feel that, there's no way that you're going to be dismissed from that in Jesus' name. And so, again, just giving you some more scripture here in Psalm 51 and 4, it says, against thee, and thee only have I sinned and done this evil in your sight, that thou mightest be justified when you speakest and be clear when you judgest. Again, David is speaking these things to God, saying that, God, it's against you that I've sinned. It's against you that I have done these things. And so as a result, I need to make these things right with you. I need to repent from them and get them right in Jesus' name. And so that brings us to our next point here in our book. It says this, that it is God's sovereign prerogative to give or withhold again we kind of address this but it's his ability it's his idea it's him that gives or withholds i once hold a, heard a preacher say at a funeral of a young boy he said you know there's a, a huge pocket that i have with just a bunch of whys a bunch of questions inside of it of why did you do this god and why did you do this, God? And every time I get another one, I stick it in that pocket. And he's like, man, the pocket just keeps growing. And I have these questions about why, why did you do this, God? And why did you do that? These things are there. I think we all have them at certain points. And he said, you know what? If I get the chance, I would love to ask God all these things once I get to heaven. However, when I get to heaven, I'll probably not even remember one of those questions. 
it probably will be so minuscule compared to everything that's going on up there that, man, it's not even worth anything. And so we can think about this in this world today that, man, you know, we, we question this stuff of why did somebody die? Why are there things going on in the world? Why is not all this going if God could step in and do all this sort of stuff? We could, we could ask those questions over and over and over again. But let's just get down to the basics and, and look at what the Scripture says, that God says, you know what? I want every person to be baptized in this world. That's what he says. I want everybody to go down in the world in Jesus' name, or down in that water in Jesus' name, what we spoke about earlier tonight. We're baptized in Jesus' name. We just follow that step. The next thing he says, man, I want to fill you with my spirit and the gift of the, the Holy Spirit so that you can begin to, to, to just know and, and have a better knowledge and a sensitivity to the things that are going on around you. He says, man, I, I want to do that for, for you. And so then you do that step and you just continue with step by step by step. And when those why questions begin to come again, you grab it and you stick it in your pocket and maybe God will answer it at some point in this world. Maybe he won't. I don't know. A lot of them can be found inside of the Bible. But if it's not found inside of the Bible, then, man, you just keep walking. You just keep doing the things that he wants you to do. And if you follow those simple steps, then, man, you're looking at those pearly gates, and one day those things will pass away and not mean anything else in Jesus' name. That's incredible. And so some more scripture here for you tonight in Psalm 51.5. Again, David he says, Behold, I was shapen in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Again, beginning to say that, man, even when we come into this world, even as a small baby, that instantly we're beginning to get into that, that world of sin. I mean, instantly we're beginning to get to that place where we're indebted to God. He's not indebted to us by any means at all. That as soon as we're born into this world, that now it's our, our turn to begin to turn this around and say, God, I am so thankful for what you have done. I am so thankful for what you have given to this world. And so you, you can begin to see why it's so essential for us to raise our children in the kingdom of God, why it's so essential for us to show people about the kingdom of God because of, of that, that debt that we owe him in Jesus' name. It says, the apostle Paul, in addressing our human sinfulness and frailty, wrote to the Romans, he wrote this, he says, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. No matter how great we think we are, and whether we're standing on a platform or sitting in a pew and that sort of stuff, we all have sinned. And we all have fell short of the glory of God. And what that tells us is that no matter how hard we work for it, or no matter how hard we, we, we go after that, we can never cross that line. We can never do so, so, so much good in this world that just all of a sudden we, we become in, in God's glory and that sort of stuff. Or we begin to become who he wanted us to be and that sort of stuff. So he has to reach out to us first and offer that up, which he has done, and I'm thankful that he has done that here tonight. And because of him being willing to open his arms, that's what crosses that boundary or that border. It's not us that crosses it, it's him that crosses it and opens the door for us to begin to come closer to him. When the word or, or when when we say said hello to the world on the day of our birth, we were already in deficit mode. That makes an attitude of entitlement illogical to begin with, but beyond that, our creator God alone holds the power to dispense or to demand favors. He's the only one that can do those things in Jesus' name. So let me give you a little bit of something that might help you think about some of this tonight. I know that I've spoken about some deep things and some light things in that, but maybe this, this idea will kind of help you with this. It says, the traffic laws in France serve as an apt illustration for the divine prerogative. As a motorist approaches a roundabout, does anybody know what a roundabout is? You can go drive 
over by uh, the Larry store there and, and see one of those. Um, I, I absolutely hate them in Jesus' name. But roundabouts are there. As a motorist approaches a roundabout, for example, any vehicle merging in from the right has the right-of-way in France. A large truck, however, always has the right-of-way regardless of the direction of approach. The reason is easily understood. Because of the sheer size of the vehicle, French authorities reason that it would be foolish and perhaps disastrous for a small car to challenge a huge truck. If a truck yields to a car, it's because the truck driver wants to avoid an accident, not because of the laws of traffic or physics. Even so, God can do as he pleases based on his omnipotence and omniscience alone. And yet, he is a God of mercy. Anytime God deals mercifully with us, we owe him thanksgiving. And mercy is when God doesn't give us what we do deserve. He doesn't give us what we do deserve. That, that's what, what mercy is. That's an incredible thought to think about. That Man, we deserve to go down a very different path. I, I remember when I was younger and not in the church, I did some things that were absolutely stupid. I did some things that were absolutely foolish. And, and even that doesn't amount to, to some other things that some other people have done. I mean, there's, there's people who have murdered and, and all that sort of stuff. And even those people that deserve to, to you know, ha, not have the, the mercy of God. However, God offers that to everyone in every situation. And because God is willing to be merciful to anyone in any situation, we owe him that thanksgiving to say, God, I am so thankful for what you have done. And so while power of force stands behind God's sovereign prerogative, something even greater sustains it, which is his righteousness. God's moral virtue cannot be compromised. He cannot be compromised. No matter how much somebody tries to trick him, no matter how much Satan knocks on his door, he cannot be compromised or twisted or turned about as we have seen in politics and so many other things around this country and that sort of stuff. Our God is not like those sort of things, but he is dead set. He has said it in his word, and this word has stood for over 6,000 years so far. This word has been very solid in leading people to him and his kingdom, and it's very true and very real. And so he dwells in complete and unbellished holiness, and it is an unchangeable part of his nature. The prophet Isaiah said it this way, and we'll look at some scripture here. It says, Isaiah 6, 1 through 3, it says, In that year King Uzziah died, and I, also, or I saw also the Lord sitting upon a throne high and lifted up, and his train filled the temple. And above it stood the seraphims, with one, which one had six wings, and twain he covered his face and his twain. He covered his feet, and his, with twain he did fly. And he continues to say, And one cried unto another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. That scripture, I realize, has some big words in it. It's talking about things with wings and multiple wings and all that sort of stuff. It kind of blows your mind. But what he's describing here is God and these things that are dwelling around him. He's describing how magnificent his God, or God is and how things around him are just in awe of who he is. That the angels listen to his voice. That we as human beings have that opportunity to listen to his voice. But even the nature around us, the grass that grows, the trees that, that, that are around us, the sun that rises... 
All of those things begin to listen to his voice and who he is. And we have seen it demonstrated over and over again inside of the Bible of, of times when the sun began to stand completely still and the day began to pause in the middle of time. You can't do that just by, by beginning to throw a rope around the sun and holding it back. No, that's only God, the creator of the universe, that can do those sort of things. We've seen it in here where people come in with these huge diseases and these cancers and these tumors and we pray for them in Jesus' name and they go go back to the doctor and those things are gone and the doctor can justify and say, I don't know what happened. I don't know what changed that, but there, there was something that, that changed inside of that. It shows how great our God is and what happens around him. And so there's this whole world that dwells upon what we can see and what's around us in Jesus' name. And we can be thankful that he has invited us into that through the gift of his Holy Spirit in Jesus' name. And so I love this scripture here because it makes me think of you, Brother Tom, when, when you, you say, holy, holy, holy. I, I mean, that's just the, the, that's kind of your phrase, bro. And, and I, I appreciate it because it's giving that glory to God. It reminds me of this scripture every time you say that, thinking about how awesome it will be to be standing in heaven and hearing all those things around, saying that in Jesus' name, seeing the angels saying, holy, holy, holy is this God, and us worshiping as well. And you know, it takes a while to begin to understand that, but man, when you get hooked on it and you begin to feel how addicting his, 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 his kingdom is, man, it becomes incredibly powerful in Jesus' name. And so, again, it says this in 1 Corinthians 3 and 17, If any man defile the temple of God, him shall God destroy, for the temple of God is holy, in which temple ye are. It says, Know ye not that you are the temple of God, and that the Spirit of God dwelleth in you. If any man defile the temple of God, him shall God destroy, for the temple of God is holy, in which temple you are. The cool thing is that as we transition through the Old Testament, and I, can't, I don't have time to get into it here tonight, but the presence of God dwelt in various places, in a temple and a tabernacle and that sort of stuff. But the cool thing is that after Jesus came down and died on that cross, now the temple wasn't this physical place, but the temple now became the church. It became you and I, not, not these four walls around us, but we became the temple of God. That means that when we walk around inside of this world in Jesus' name, we are the ones that are, are exhibiting him, glorifying him. We are the ones where his presence comes and dwells inside of in Jesus' name. That was the whole purpose of the temple in the Old Testament was so that people could go and, and reach out to God and see him there so that the high priest could, could find those things and find him in the tabernacle and all that sort of stuff. They were dwelling places for God. But now in the New Testament, we are those dwelling places for God to come and live for us. Just another reason to say, man, I am thankful for God. I am so thankful for what he has done. I am thankful that he has chosen me and given me the ability as a, as a sinful human being, somebody who has messed so many things up and done things so wrong, yet the God of the universe wants to come and dwell inside of me. That's a powerful thing. And so the understanding that he is holy and that we are his, the temple of him these are to be demands in a posture of thanksgiving. And so to continue this on here, and we'll go to this next one here, our provision is due to God's un or unforced generosity. It's due to his unforced generosity. I don't think he forced anybody to come here tonight. If he forced you to come here tonight, I want to know about it in Jesus' name. But I didn't see him out there tying ropes around people, pulling cars in the parking lot, all that sort of stuff. No, it was unforced. He's willing to give this generosity out. 
But we have to be the ones that reach out to him to, to, to accept that in Jesus' name. It's our option. It is. It's our option to walk away from here and completely shut him down. But we can't do that. We have no leverage over him. And so if we walk out of here saying, well, God, this is how I'm going to live my life, and you better give me this at the end, <laughs> that's a disaster waiting to happen. It's very foolish. But whatever he gives us, it's only because he wants to give it to us. And when you think of that and begin to say, man, he gave us this word. He gave us his blessings. He let me go to the prayer room tonight where I could pray about things. And man, just feel weights come off just one right after another. Man, he, he spoke to me in my household. He came in my household. I mean, maybe you had a rough day at work and, and he helped you through that in Jesus' name. Whatever it may be, even the smallest thing, you can begin to say, God, you know, I'm so thankful for that. But he did that because he wanted to give that to you. He gave you freedom because he wanted to give that to you. And I'm not talking about the United States of America, that freedom, whatever that, that may be. I'm talking about freedom from, from the darkness of this world, freedom from places. And again, in Haiti, I mean, the voodoo that just overruns that place and the people that think that they are just so strapped because they have been taught their whole lives that, man, if there's a witch or whatever you want to call them that says something to you, you have to believe that for the rest of your life. It's crazy. They believe it. They think that that's, that's very true and that sort of stuff. But God steps in and the churches are going on there and, and begins to put freedom inside of their life and says, you know what? You don't have to listen to that voice anymore inside of your life. You know that voice that comes in and tells you that you're, you're worthless and that sort of stuff? Man, you don't got to listen to that anymore. That voice that says you got to have drugs and alcohol and all these other things, you don't got to listen to that voice anymore. It's the freedom of God that he has spoken to us in Jesus' name. And we have to begin to give that glory back to him. It's his generosity, his reasoning that we get those things. And I'm thankful that he does that for us. Psalm 65 and 9 says, Thou visitest the earth and waterest it. Thou greatly enrichest it with the river of God, which is full of water. Thou preparest them corn when thou hast provided for it. Again, just trying to, you know, he's, he's speaking these songs and that sort of thing, but, but just saying how good God is. That God lets the waters flow where they need to flow. He grows the, the crops where they need to grow. But ultimately, it speaks to our lives that, man, that water can flow into our lives in the New Testament. That water of his can, and the scripture says that when we're filled with this, his Holy Ghost, that the spirit, that, that the, those rivers of living water begin to flow from us in Jesus' name. So he, he can fill us up spiritually and make us super rich. We could die of starvation and all that sort of stuff, but really that isn't the, the worry in this life. This worry is, man, are we going to die spiritually and never know who he is and that sort of thing? I don't want to be in that place because I've tasted that water. And I, I know how good it tastes, and I've understood that in Jesus' name. And I encourage everybody that, that I meet, man, just try it for a little bit. Just taste a little bit of it and just see what it does for you. You don't have to go wild. You don't have to become completely Christian and all this sort of stuff in just a few seconds. But man, you just got to take a little drink of it and just bring it home with you and maybe read a scripture a day or something or, or, or pray to him for a minute a day. Whatever it can be, speak to him and see what it does inside of you and you'll begin to see that sensation of that water in Jesus' name. And so we can thank God for these things. And so God, he set aside justice and he gave us mercy. He set aside justice of saying, man, I'm going to be this judge and just be up here with this anvil and, and absolutely say that you have to be this way and I'm going to sentence you to this and that sort of thing. No, that's not our God. He gave us mercy. Again, when he doesn't do what he should do, he, he doesn't give us the punishment that we do deserve in Jesus' name. But he says this about us instead. He says, 
which in time, well, let me back up. It's not on the screen, but it says this. You are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people, that you should show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of that darkness into his marvelous light, which in time past you were not a people, but you are now the people of God, which had not obtained mercy, but now you have obtained mercy. He's saying at one point, man, you were so lost in that darkness, you couldn't even see the hand in front of your face. But man, he came in and brought that light. And when that light comes in, that's truly when his mercy begins to step in, where he should have punished us, but he didn't do that. He should have did these other things, but he didn't do that in Jesus' name. And so all of our blessings, they come from God. All my blessings come from God. It says this again in Scripture, that every good gift, every perfect gift is from above, and it comes down from the Father of lights, with whom is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. Basically, meaning that he's, he's going to constantly be there. And so it's a twofold declara- declara- de- declaration. First, that we do not innately possess material or intangible blessings. And second, that we do not have the power to produce or manufacture blessings on our own, but we need him to do that. So we totally lack inability to live independently from God. And moreover, God can never be repaid no matter how hard we try. So this isn't about repaying him, but it is about saying, God, I want to thank you for what you have done. And I can be thankful even though I can't repay him. Again, it says this, that no matter how hard we try to pay for God's love and favor, no amount we pay would ever be enough for what he has done in Jesus' name. Jesus addressed Simon after the sinner woman broke open her alabaster box and poured it over Jesus' feet. If you remember, she brought it, broke it, poured it over his feet, and Simon said, don't do that because that's a very valuable box and, and you shouldn't be pouring that over his feet. Simon questioned her actions within himself, but Jesus knew his thoughts. In response, Jesus told him the story of a creditor who had two debtors. The two debtors owed so much, there would be no way they would ever be able to pay back the creditor. And Jesus said this. He said, and when they had nothing to pay, he frankly forgave them both. Tell me, therefore, which of them will love him the most? Simon was stunned because he realized he was also owed a debt that he could not pay. And I couldn't imagine the conviction that he felt in that particular place. So listen to this as I conclude this tonight and and get you on your way. I hope that God has spoken something to you here tonight. It says this, that when Mrs. Klein told her first graders to draw a picture of something for which they were thankful, she thought how little these children who lived in a deteriorating neighborhood actually had to be thankful for. She knew that most of the class would draw pictures or turkeys or of bountiful laden Thanksgiving tables, and that was what they believed was expected of them. What took Mrs. Klein aback was Douglas's picture. Douglas was so forlorn and likely to be found close in her shadow as they went outside for recess. Douglas's drawing was simply this. It was a hand, and obviously, no one knew whose hand. The class was captivated by this image. I think it must be the hand of God that brings us food, said one student. A farmer, said another, because they grow turkeys. It looks more like a policeman because they protect us. I think, said Lavinia, whose hand was, or who was always so serious, that it is supposed to be all the hands that help us. But Douglas could only draw one of them. 
Mrs. Klein had almost forgotten Douglas in her pleasure at finding the class was so responsive. And when she had the others at work on another project, she bent over to his desk and asked who, whose hand it was. Douglas mumbled, it's yours, teacher. Then Mrs. Klein recalled that she had taken Douglas by the hand from time to time, so often did that with the children, but she had no idea that it had meant so much to Douglas. Perhaps she reflected that it was her Thanksgiving and everybody's Thanksgiving, not the material things given unto us, but the small ways that we, should, or that we gave something to others. So this Thanksgiving, we can absolutely be thankful for God and how he has taken us by the hand in Jesus' name. Can we stand tonight and we'll conclude this with prayer? And I appreciate all that God has done here. It's just a wonderful presence here towards the end of this in Jesus' name. It could really just continue to go.